We have an inspiring and insightful conversation to share today on the Brentwood Academy podcast. Leroy Heider Jr. joins Christian Life Director Freddie Scott as they talk about the impact and the legacy of Frederick Douglass. Mr. Heider's fascination of the Douglass legacy led to some meaningful connections with some of Douglass's very own descendants. As we celebrate Black History Month, enjoy this fascinating episode of the BA podcast. Thank you so much for being here, Leroy. We're so excited to be able to have this conversation about Black History Month That's and specifically time. Frederick Douglass. And so for our audience that may not know you or yes. your connection to Frederick Douglass, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your connection to him. Well, I'm from Detroit, Michigan, and I grew up dreaming about playing music. And I went into music as a career right out of high school after a couple of years of college. But as a young boy, um, I loved to paint. I used to love sketching and drawing as well as playing music. When I was 17, I, po- I, I painted a portrait of Frederick Douglass, which is right here. And um, the reason I painted the painting was not so much because I was inspired by what he had accomplished or what he had done, because I didn't know much of what he had done. Because when we were kids, they had one semester of black history, and they touched upon everybody as much as they could within those, those few weeks. And they spent about maybe 30 minutes on Douglas and talked about the abolitionists and the North Star and his accomplishments, but they didn't dwell much with us with his history. So when I, when I painted the painting, I was looking for a beautiful face. And I saw his picture in Ebony Magazine, and I painted the painting. 20 years later, uh, a famous artist saw some of my work and helped me do a print of Frederick Douglass. And, uh, and I was selling the painting, and everybody kept asking, well, who is this guy? And well, tell me more about him. You don't want me to buy his face. You know, who is he? And I couldn't, I had no clue of what to say to them. So I said, I better read about it, read about him. So I got his book, Life and Times of Frederick Douglass. And when I studied his story, it really impacted me so much that I had to share it with more people. Wow. Wow. So something that started off as a school project turned into something that really impacted your life in a profound way. Very um, much so. And so when you think about what you've read and what you know so far about him from your research and what you've been able to uncover, tell us a little bit more. You mentioned his book. Our, our class actually reads this book in our African-American history class, and they awesome. absolutely love his book to I be able to him. read a firsthand account of what his it was experience. like to live during that, that time, time frame. So can you speak to a little bit more about his upbringing, and some of the challenges that he had to overcome during his childhood. Yeah, definitely. Um, it speaks about the fact that when he was a little boy, when he was born, when he was living with his grandmother, Betsy, how how it was like a, 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 a totally different experience of what he was going to get ready to go into when he turned five. It's very much a home life, very much loved by his, by his grandmother. But he had no clue of the reality of what he was getting ready to face when she walked into the 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 great the the, the um colonel 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 um lloyd's plantation and being faced with that for the first time and being realized that he mentions that he found out that Betsy was property and the home that he lived in was property and even he was property and he had no clue of that ahead of time and being faced with that uh, reality and then having to live in, in the conditions that he had to live in when he became a when he when he got at the plantation, uh, it was no longer sleeping in a comfortable setting. It was even speaks of sleeping in a potato sack mm-hmm. and and um, and trying to feed from the coals of the fire to stay warm and 
not having shoes, not having this, having a, a shirt to wear, and 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 fighting for food, and and challenges of dealing with other kids, and 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 the the oppression of not the oppression, but the the lack of fairness from Aunt Katie, the, the, who oversee the children, and just the suffering that he endured with that, and just being faced with that hopeless image and finding a way to overcome that was what inspired me about his life. You know, when you when you actually think about that, I, I don't think people realize, you know, if you wake up one day and you realize that everything you thought you knew is wrong, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, you're born, here's your family, your family unit, I'm loved, but then you find out, wait a minute, you know, I, I'm a slave, you're a slave, I don't have rights. And in the world that you think is your playground is, is really your prison. prison. Exactly. And 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 then in spite of that, to be able to have the perseverance to find this desire to overcome. escape and overcome. Uh, yeah. What did it take for him to be able to actually do that? To overcome the sleepless nights, the cold nights, the lack of food, the lack of clothing, and still. Well, he was blessed. Uh, God had blessed him with some opportunities that a lot of slaves did not have. One, he was um, given the opportunity to go to Baltimore to live with Hugh and Sophia Auld, which took him away from the harsh plantation life. And he was living in Baltimore as assistant to oversee, to help with the raise, would help with the, his their son Thomas. And to be their slave, and in that environment, he was. She introduced him to reading, and uh, and the book. In the book that she began teaching him how to read was the Bible, and so he was introduced to that at that time, and um, having a, that environment to grow up in, as opposed to being under a harsh taskmaster uh, type environment, gave him a little bit of sense of confidence. And then getting knowledge from Huall when Huall tells him that reading is the worst thing for a slave to ever do because he'll spoil him as a slave. He'll make he'll be a horrible slave. He'll ruin him. As, he'll ruin his spirit. He'll he'll he'll, he'll destroy him as, as he won't be a good slave. He won't be a prosperous slave. He's the key to my read. Gave him the key to realizing knowledge is the key to my freedom, which impo- which which inspired him to continue with his reading when they discontinued it. Yeah. continue teaching himself how to read. Yeah, because I remember we would have these discussions around um, that that one moment really transformed his, not just life, but really his understanding of the the structure in which why so many enslaved people stayed under, mm-hmm. quote-unquote, control. Exactly. And, and he realized that once he learned to read and even hearing from uh, that conversation of the alls of talking about Wait a minute. Once he begins to read, he begins to think, and once mm-hmm. he begins to think, he'll be of no longer use. He won't be a happy slave. slave. And so, mm-hmm. just reading and taking ownership and ding, being able to teach himself to read, and even bartering biscuits with right. other little with kids, other kids to be able to teach them their little mm-hmm. lessons. Um, where did that take him? Once he realized, wow, there's knowledge is my power, and he began to pursue that. What was that next step for him to be able to, you know, go down this path towards an abolitionist? Well, um, he had an experience also that impacted his life with a with a young man named Uncle Lawson, which was an older slave, which which mentored him when he was living in Baltimore, 
and they used to do have Bible studies together, and he was kind of a spiritual overseer to him. And um, and he had spoken to his life that he that he believed that God had a call in his life that he would be that he would impact the world and make changes and 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 be a leader to his people. And that was kind of like a a, a, a new revelation to Frederick that someone could see that in him. And he had been reading the Bible um, on his own. He used to collect pages of the Bible when he found it. But he had read the stories of Moses. He had read the stories of Joseph and how they had been in prison and how the Jews had been enslaved and how God had set them free, which gave him another insight of this possible that I could receive my freedom through that same process, wow. uh, through faith in God and through believing in a, a, higher, a power higher than myself, making a doorway for me to achieve my freedom. And this gave him a, 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 an extra push of confidence and faith to believe in something other than the hopeless image that he was facing. Now, think about the power of that statement. You know, at this time, you're looking at 200 years of history of slavery in America, you know. Um, there is no proof that anyone could, in yeah. their lifetime, change it, change it, end it, and, and accomplish the things. And now you hear a person speaking into his life, a call on his life, an opportunity for him to either acknowledge this opportunity of this vision and the, this prophetic word. Yeah. And is that more powerful than the, the history and the image of what I see day to day? And that's what impacted me about his life as an individual, as, as a sole individual myself, you know, wanting to make a difference in the world with the gifts that God has given me and having obstacles that you face to try to reach those goals because with every dream with every vision there's obstacles and looking at his life in the hopeless image that he faced one individual facing those hopeless Im image hope facing that hopeless image which was not just your typical hopelessness this was the law of the land it was like it was like sketched in the law in the history of america that you are not uh, you're not allowed freedom and so he was facing this big obstacle but uh, to face it with the faith in God and his ability to be believe in the image outside of the image in front of him, to trust in God in the midst of that, changed the world through that, through that confidence and faith. Mm. You know, so which impacted me as an individual saying, well, if he can face an obstacle that huge, the, the obstacles that I have, which are nowhere near that, that magnitude, I can, as an individual, we all as individuals can impact the world when we exercise our faith in God's ability to help us achieve our goals and don't be moved by the images and obstacles that we face. So you talk about change the world, and sometimes people may say, well, that's a, that's a pretty big statement. But really, he changed the world and even the fabric of what America is today. So let's talk a little bit about how that actually took place. So we know historically he became an abolitionist. So let's go mm -hmm. into that work of what did that mean? How did he transition to start the work of ending slavery? And then how did that transform America as we know it? Yeah, well, for one, he, um, well, in 1841, he spoke in Nantucket uh, at a Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society meeting, which he had been introduced to from getting familiar with Liberator by, by William Lloyd Garrison. And when he spoke, they were so moved by his speaking that the, and his oratorical ability 
and his ability, his presence, and his voice, and his and his, his powerful presence, that they want him to be a spokesperson for the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society. Was set him on the course of traveling the country, speaking out against speaking out against slavery as an actual slave, because most of the abolitionists were men who believed in the ending of slavery, but none of them had experienced slavery. And so you had an actual slave who could speak from a true experience and share intimately that what that experience is like and why it has to end. And so that began his quest as an abolitionist, which led to him um, eventually writing his narrative, mm-hmm. narrative life of Frederick Douglass and um, American Slave, which really shared in detail what was going on in his life and accrediting him as a true slave because they were questioning his ability to be a slave, his reality of him being a slave because he could speak so well and because he didn't speak with a with slave language, you know. He spoke with proper English. And, and so having the book out and then um, traveling to England and traveling to Europe to get away from his slave masters who were after him because they identified who they were and who he was. So, Because remember, he is actually... A runaway slave, exactly. and by going and doing a speaking circuit and writing a book, naming your the slave, slave master, made slave him a big owners, target. You, you got a target because legally he could be recaptured and taken back, back into slavery. Yeah, which led him to go to England, go to Europe, and uh, spend time over there. And uh, actually, I was in London. And I went to the library in London and found some. Microfilm of the liber- of the newspaper articles of his stay there, and his speaking at Parliament and, and being at Parliament and and things along those lines. So, his and but he had he met some you know, some some supporters over there that bought his freedom from you all. I mean from uh, from Aaron Anthony's family and bought his freedom, and uh, so he was able to return back to America. And that's when he started the North Star, his his uh, his newspaper. And which was another way of expanding the knowledge of what what slavery was about and getting freedom for people, and and then he became an advisor to President Lincoln, not long after that, and um, during the time of the Civil War was instrumental in uh, establishing the first black regiments to fight in the Civil War and just being a voice of our people in an environment that needed to hear that side of it in a way that they could comprehend it. So he goes from. Slave to runaway slave to abolitionist goes to England, is able to get support. The support biases freedom. He's able to come back to America now as a free man. Now as an abolitionist turns into an advisor to the president Mm -hmm. during the Civil War to help get the first black regiment uh, to help fight for the Union. Exactly. And now talk a little bit about those conversations with President Lincoln, because initially, at least what's been reported is Lincoln wasn't necessarily in support of equality and abolitionists. He was really trying to focus on keep preserving the union. What did that conversation look like and how did he influence the presidency and what ended up happening with uh, well, African-Americans. Uh, Lincoln was also a, a strong believer, I believe, if I, if I remember correctly, in, in uh, colonization of, of sending the African-Americans to uh, their, uh, a separate land or a separate island. Either right? Haiti, or, Canada, uh, or Liberia were where they the, had their own, yeah. And, uh, and Frederick was against that. And so the, 
they had a, they had met. I think they met like three to four times, three times, and each time uh, he advised them uh, of his position on a lot of these things. And one was getting blacks to fight in the military during the Civil War. For if Nathan wasn't too crazy about that idea starting out either, and then so, but I think it doesn't go in. I don't have information in detail of what he. Uh, advised them on outside of advising them, helping with the, to come to decision to do the Emancipation Proclamation, and uh, and um, and getting the blacks to fight, getting African Americans to fight in the Civil War, and uh, and I think it was a period of time where they, he wanted to find out what would happen with African Americans if the war was lost and how to handle that, yeah. you know, and so that's all the information I personally had. Well, but still, it's a really important point, though. So think about this. For a couple hundred years, you have a population that has been slaves. We're talking about ending it. You know, this is wrong. Some people, abolitionists, are in favor of, hey, you know what, this is wrong. Talking with President Lincoln. President Lincoln goes through this process of, okay, let's end slavery. But what do we do with the freed slaves? Exactly. And for and I think a lot of people mis, misunderstand because sometimes you even hear people talk about if you you know go back to Africa you you hear statements like that when you hear people like Frederick Douglass who loved America you know this Black history really is American history here's a person that was a slave and with given the opportunity I can leave and go back to Africa I can leave and go to Haiti I can leave and go to Canada I can leave and go anywhere yeah. and the government will pay for it. Yeah. The, the, they actually had a fund to be able to pay free people. If you wanted to leave, they would pay you to leave. And Douglas and many others said, no, exactly. we don't want to leave. We believe in what this nation stands for. And we want to fight for the opportunity to experience the equality that the founding fathers created with this constitution and bill of rights and right. declaration of independence. Yeah. He was, a, he was a strong supporter of using the Constitution to fight for freedom. But many of the other, some of the other African-American uh, abolitionists were more so, not so supportive of that. I don't even think Garrison was in so much support of the Constitution being used to support. But he wanted to work within the confines of the Constitution to support, the, the, to use the, the rights of what's established already in the Constitution for our freedom and to add to that Constitution. Yeah. And um, and he really spoke a great deal about what would how how America and how the abolitionists themselves should fight for the equal for the equal rights of African Americans right out of slavery, as opposed to waiting a period of time, which many of them thought was the proper way of handling it. Yeah, that they don't need to have their freedom right away. They're just slaves. They don't know. They, they don't even know how to read. They don't know how to do this. They don't know how to do that. They don't have the rights to education yet. They don't have the rights to vote yet. They don't have the rights to jobs yet. Let them acclimate themselves to freedom before we give them that. And Douglas was a strong believer. If you don't give them their rights with freedom, because that's what freedom is, rights. If you if you give them a false freedom, it it gives it creates another sense of hopelessness in them, and it's, and it's not allowing them to grow up to be self sufficient and to stand on their own two feet. And so, for people that sometimes may not understand, so the the continuity of what happened from going from freedom to equality, the, that that's an entire different path. So mm-hmm. so again, I was a slave, became an abolitionist, worked with Lincoln. We get Emancipation Proclamation. We have the Civil War. Ultimately, the Thirteenth Amendment that ends slavery across the Union. 
But just because slavery is over, you have 4 million freed people, but those people aren't citizens yet. And right. because they're not citizens yet, they don't have a bill of rights. They right. don't. They can't vote. They right. don't have land. They, you're free. I'm. I can't enslave you. I don't own you anymore. But there's no rights or no. So really, the real work of what he then begins to do really just begins. Establish Something that you think is, oh, slavery is over. That's it. No, now the work really just begins. Yeah, because uh, he knew one thing. He also knew. He mentions this in the speech that I recorded called "What the Black Man Wants." He speaks of, he's speaking to the abolitionists at the time, the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society, and he's telling them that you need to fight for equal rights as strong as you fall for freedom, because if you don't, there's going to be a, a divide in the country that still persists, because the blacks in the South are never going to have the, the, the hatred of the, it's the hatred of the, of the, of the, of the, um, Southerners, it's not going to leave just because the war ended, and so there's not going to be any justice down there for African for for the free slaves if he, if they don't have the right to vote, if they don't have the right to involve themselves in the government activities in that area, it's going to be the civil war is really not ending; it's just being persisted, it's being presented in a different form because slavery is still going to persist down there. In a certain, in a different format, because the, the, the voice of the African American is being silenced because they can't participate in the enfranchisement of that of that of that land, which is very prophetic. Because again, you said that was 1865. 1865. 1865. He makes the statement about the need for equality, not just freedom, and what would happen down south if they don't have equality. And then when you fast forward a hundred years, exactly. The March on Washington, Dr. King, I have yeah. a dream speech. Yeah. He was exactly right. right. Why were we still, quote unquote, fighting for civil rights in the South with Jim Crow laws and all yeah, those things? Exactly. Had there not been, had yeah. we done what he recommended that we do, right. freedom, which freedom. we actually started during Reconstruction. There, there right. was a there was time a period frame. of time before Jim Crow, before that, before that took place, because they, they actually had a. How many blacks were in Congress? They had yeah, fifteen hundred elected officials. Yeah, during that time, black elected officials right after the Civil War. Yeah, so they was working the the process of giving the the, the but then the South just took away those rights. Uh, That's a whole other story. Another story. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. what would you say to people that you, you, that may not have really understood the work that Frederick has done? And the lessons that we can learn and apply to ourselves today, because obviously there's there's stories of resilience, stories of you know looking to the future and what God has for your life in spite of what may have happened in your past. That yeah. there, there's so many lessons. What would you say would be one of the most important things for people to take away from his life and legacy? One is to have a voice to speak out for truth, you know, and don't settle. Um, um, he could have taken a lot of different positions with, his, with the life that he was dealt. And, and a lot of times we're dealt obstacles and, and very hard things in our life. And, um, and we can have the two can have, we can either succumb to it or we can try to change it or fight against it and make a difference in, in by fighting against it and, and, and having a truth to stand on and a, vision to stand on to f face the obstacles that we that we're dealt with 
And that's what, I, that's what inspired me most about him, is that he wants, he believed in truth, he understood truth, but he never allowed the image, or like I said earlier, he never allowed the obstacle itself to hinder him from wanting to reach out to speak in that truth and to reach for that truth to manifest. But again, Leroy, thank you so much for sharing. Again, we can dive. There's so mm-hmm. much in his life and legacy, but I really appreciate you sharing, giving us more color to his story and background. And hopefully this is very educational and inspirational for our community. Thank you so much for coming. It was a today. pleasure being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you.